are on week three of a series on the church called Woven. And uh, if you're new, typically what we do at the Parks Church is we preach through books of the Bible, uh, which we're going to pick back up in a couple weeks. Uh, but we, we stop down every so often to talk on different topics. And this topic is the church. And not just a generic series on the church, but like Parks Church specific things. And so, again, you're new. This is a great time to kind of hear uh, some of the heartbeat of what this community is about and where we feel God uniquely calling us and drawing us to. And what we have been focusing on in this series is what are the parts or elements of a church that is growing in beauty, right? Right. That's growing in beauty. Now we know the church, right? The capital C church is beautiful in of itself, right? Jesus died for her. He is the head of her. Like he, it's beautiful in of itself. But there is a way in which a church can grow in beauty and glory and obedience in the mission God, God calls her to. And so we want to be that kind of community. Right. And so week one, we were reminded like the church, again, is not a facility. It's not a building. It's not a, a, a location. Right. It is a group. It's a group. It's a community. It's a faith family. It's a community, particularly of the redeemed, those whom Christ has saved and he has gathered together. That is the church. Okay. And so week one, we talked about the church is a people who are committed, committed. And even, even I love this past this, this Sunday today in our 9am hour, we had a large group of people going through our covenant partnership process, which is one tangible way of committing to a faith family. But we looked at what it means to be committed. First, we need to know what we're committed to. And that's where we went to Ephesians chapter three in the church. Ephesians chapter three, verse 10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is put on display. Okay. Pretty big deal, right? That through the church, through the community of the redeemed, the wisdom of God is made known to the watching world, okay? And then it goes on further in Ephesians chapter 3 and says that the purpose or mission of the church, any church, right, is singular. It's the glory of God, right? That makes sense because of Ephesians 3, 10, right? That we display what? Not our wisdom, not earthly wisdom, but the glory of God. So our mission and what we're committed to is seeing God glorified. Okay, so what does that, flowing from that idea of commitment, what does that look like? And Jake last week talked about, hey, we're committed here as a faith family to being deeply formed by the Spirit in Christ. Like we're deep, we want to be deeply formed by Jesus, right? We want, we want to be people who are shaped in his way by the word through the Spirit. And so he talked about, and it was really helpful, these different lanes and spheres and facets that we find ourselves in because we're in different places in formation, right? We're in different stages of our walks with Christ and understanding those uh, will help us. And so he walked through that. And this week, I want to talk about another commitment. And this is the, 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 the next commitment. The next commitment I want to talk about this week is a, a, a church growing in beauty is a church growing in participation. Participation. We're participatory people. There's no such thing as a non-participating church in the Bible. Like it just doesn't know, like there's no such thing as a church in the Bible sitting on the sidelines, right? The closest thing we could maybe get is some of the churches in Revelation, right? Where those seven letters are written. And if you read any of those letters, like they're quickly called out or they're quickly called up into uh, participation again. And now I know, like some of you are already going there in, in your mind that when I say participation on a Sunday morning like this, here is what you think. And you've got like the sermon pegged ready. Like you've already titled it, right? Volunteerism. 
right? You just wrote it in your notebook. You're like, here, a preacher's going to guilt me into volunteering and serving. And here's what, it, here's what's again, participation, right? And, and, and when's just, just Kyle, just give me the checklist. Give me the boxes that I need to serve and I'll serve. Okay. I get it. Right. And, and hear me, we're going to send you an email this week. Okay. Like with the list of where you need to serve. Okay. Like in the house and we need you, like we need you stepping up. We need you participating in that way. But this morning, okay. I want to put that over here, right? That'll come in an email and you're expecting it, but you expected it here. I'm going to put it over here because I want to talk about the church participating in a little bit of a broader way and possibly even in a, a deeper way. And here's the question. How does the church, the Parks Church particularly, participate faithfully in the culture we find ourselves in? You see, if, if, if our de- definition of Christian participation is limited to serving on a Sunday morning, you can see how shallow that is, right? Right? You can see how limited that would actually be because really serving on a Sunday morning is a grace in serving one another. Now, we do serve culture and culture would see that and peer in and I understand all that and we do serve non-believers. That is very true. But by and large, we serve one another on a Sunday morning, which is, which is a little bit of a separate thing. You see, a church that is growing in beauty is one that has a full biblical understanding of what participation in the kingdom of God looks like. The how, the how we participate, and why. And one pastor and author out of New York in talking about the church, and he, he's phenomenal at this and has, has spoken into this in so many ways. He uses this phrase, and I want to set this phrase before you. He talks about the church as influencing culture around us through redemptive participation. Influencing the culture around us through redemptive participation. And I see a lot of nods. I see a lot of smiles. I see like, like that, that's, that's right, spot on. But how? How does the church influence culture around us through redemp- redemptive participation? And that's one of the things that we have to um, really be careful of here, here at the parks and, and even in our own language is that there are things that we will say like that, right? Good, right, spot on, that really roll off of the tongue really easy. But when it comes to actually putting it into practice is very, very difficult and very, very complex, if you will. Okay. And, and Tozer talks about it like this. And he was talking about uh, revival about the church talking about revival, wishing revival one way, but walking in another. And so oftentimes I think we talk about participation as a church. We go, yes, this is what we, this is what we want to do in culture. We want to have redemptive participation in a culture. We wish that, we desire that. But yet the way in which the body, the church walks, is in another way from that reality. Okay? And so what I want us to do is at a very high level, unpack that and go, Lord, this is how you would call us to participate. And maybe these are some of the areas that you would call us to participate in to bring redemptive participation into certain areas. But first off, we need to see is, is redemptive participation even biblical, right? Even biblical. That, at least that's the first question you should be asking anytime anybody's speaking with, with authority. And so this is where we will turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, you know, begins the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking to his disciples, his Christ followers, those who are wondering, peering in, going, okay, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? So I want to start in verse 13, and and we'll go to verse 16 to kind of set this up. You, Christ follower, church, are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, participation, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Salt, light. Think about this. How good is salt if it is separate, if it's separated from the very thing that needs it, right? Like if you sit down at a meal and you're like, man, this could use a little bit more salt going. The fact that it's in my cupboard doesn't make any difference to my meal, right? Even knowing the salt's over there doesn't change this. What happens? What needs to happen? That salt has to hit the food, right? It has to show up and participate with the food, if you will. Right? If this room goes pitch black, uh, just darkness, it doesn't matter that I have a lamp at my house five blocks away, right? It doesn't change the darkness in this room. So when we think about Christian participation, a better way to think about it is that Christians are called to show up. We're called to show up in spaces and places. Now, this is where we need to talk about. Actually, let's go to Paul, because maybe you weren't convinced by salt and light. Paul in 2 Corinthians, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we, the church, he's writing to a church, talking to the church in Corinthians. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Um, does that freak anybody else out? We are God's ambassadors. Now, the verse immediately prior to this talks about our reconciliation, talks about the gospel, that we are reconciled through Christ based upon his work and not our effort. Therefore, you're God's ambassadors. An ambassador historically, like when the the first century readers would have been reading this, understood that was somebody who took the king's ethic and way and represented it to the people and those around them. Okay, same thing would be true of us. And then it goes one step further. You're the ambassador and God is making his appeal through us. Like that's the part that like scares me a little bit. Right. And I know some of you are like, of course, God's making his appeal through me. Right? I'm like super awesome. Right. For the other 99% of us, does that not freak you out a little bit? That God's appeal, who he is, his wisdom, his reconciliation, his salvation is coming through you and me. Big deal. And then he goes, and I want to back it up a little bit. Go to the next 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 2. For in places, spaces, right? We're not just salt. We're not just light. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are saved and among those who are perishing. So that when we as Christians participate, when we as Christians show up, when we as the church show up in spaces and places, we are ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. And we are his fragrance to the watching world, to those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That's a lot of participatory language, right? That's a lot of like, you have to be present. You have to be in a place, in a space to do that, right? That has nothing to do with churches and people and places who are sitting on the sidelines. God's going, no, I've placed my spirit in you for you to participate in my kingdom. To be salt in those places, to be light, to be my ambassadors, to be my aroma, the fragrance of who I am to the watching world. 
But the first part I want to talk about before I get to where is how we show up. How do Christians participate? Um, Have you ever showed up at the right place in the wrong way? You ever done that? Right? Right place, but you showed up like in a different way, right? Maybe in a wrong outfit. There's a commercial right now on something, but it's, it's pretty comical about going, showing up in this, this scene. Well, um, I've done this before in, in many regards, but only one I'll share with you um, is uh, we have some neighbors who uh, are at the end of our street, and they only speak Spanish, and uh, this is a few years back. And some, somewhere along the way, I, I don't know Spanish very well at all. I'm, I'm trying to grow in it, trying to learn it. Uh, but they, they, they came down. They, they have parties and they have get-togethers at the house, which is awesome. I love that. Um, but then they, they came down one, one time and, and were talking to me out in front of our house. And somewhere along the way, they either didn't care that I didn't speak Spanish or they, they thought I did speak Spanish. I don't know which one. Maybe it's just because I was like nodding and smiling. Like it's my typical go-to, which gets me in trouble sometimes. Uh, and so I was just like nodding and like, yes, yeah, you know, I was agreeing with whatever they were saying. And what I picked up from what they were saying to me was I understood that they were having a party. And on what day they were having this party. And I was like, awesome. I'm finally getting the invite to their party, right? Like, this is great. And so um, it was actually on a Sunday. And, uh, you know, goes this party. Um, never been invited. And so what I realized, though, it was actually coming back from church, a little bit after church, and pull on the street where they live, which is the J Star Street, pull up there, and I quickly realized... This party was a funeral. There was a hearse out front and there were cars. And as you can imagine, people were dressed in, in a certain way and, 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 and not the, the music and, and not things like that. So back it up a little bit. This is a few years ago, so we can kind of laugh at this. Like I was ready to show up with like a two liter of Coke and like Doritos. Like, you know, like, whoa, you know, like I'm here to party. Can you imagine but they would come to find out they were inviting me to the funeral, knowing I was a pastor, to pray, to just, just, just be with them, comfort them. You see, one of my fears is that oftentimes as Christians, we show up like that. We show up in the right places in the wrong way. And, and listen, we show up sometimes to a, to a party like it's a funeral. Right? Sometimes it is a funeral and we show up shouting, right? Maybe not like it's like a party, but not aware of how we need to come into that space and that place. So listen to me. How we show up into a space really, really matters. You say, how, how, do, how do we know? Right? Like that one with your neighbors is really obvious, right? But how do we know? We know because we've been given a lead to follow. And this maybe is too simple for some of you, so just go with me. How we show up, how do we know how to show up? We look at Jesus. We show up in spaces like Jesus shows up in spaces. He is our example. There is not a moment in his life where he didn't show up and participate, if you will, in the exact way that God the Father wanted him to. There's not a moment where he failed to do that. He showed up in every scene, whether it's with the religious leaders at the synagogue, whether it's with thousands of people who are hungry, or whether it's with one woman. 
He showed up perfectly with the perfect tone in the perfect way with his responses. Why? You say, Kyle, he was God. I mean, right? The trump card, he was God. I'm taking it a step further. He was also human. And the Bible says he was also full of the Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus in every way embodied the Father instructing and the Spirit leading him into situations. So much so that in Matthew 11, the only place that Jesus describes himself, Matthew 11, verse 29, he describes himself, he says, I am gentle and lowly. So think about that. The way in which Jesus interacts in any level, even with the religious leaders or that woman at the well or whatever scene you want to put him in, he'd say, I come with a gentleness and a lowliness. So when we look at Christ and how he showed up, there was a humility about him, a foreign humility about him. As Christ followers, as people who the spirit dwells in, do we show up full of the spirit that's yielding, that's pulsing the fruit of the spirit in our lives, gentleness, humility. So you see, Christ also, hear me, Christ also showed up in power, didn't he? Not that kind of power, but in a different kind of power. Not a power like a cockiness, but a power like an authority, like he had been with God. That's what he showed up with. He showed up with a confidence in the Father. You see, but to show up like Jesus, church, we have to know Jesus. We have to know him. Personally, we have to know him communally, like the Jesus of the Bible, okay? Like the one in which the scriptures paint and portray. Not the one we want to draft a character of that fits our personality and preference. The one that the Bible says, this is who Jesus is. This is how he walked. This is how we as his disciples walk into situations. He's our lead. And one of my fears is this past year plus has been that there have been a lot of justifying of behaviors by Christians saying, well, this is what Jesus would do, or this is, this is, Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't do that. And most of it by and large, most of it by and large is just people going, I'm not comfortable doing that. I wouldn't do that. And it's okay for you to say that, which there's nothing wrong with. Just don't tag Jesus's name as if he's the qualifier just to get your preference through. Okay. Now, what would Jesus of the Bible, how would he operate? Let's operate like that. And when we go, I, I don't know, here's what we do. Lord, help us. And defer to community. Defer to one another. Be gracious. Be merciful. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. So we show up like Jesus. But let's take it um, an, another step. As the people of God, we show up in these spaces and places prepared. With a holy preparation in our lives. You see, unprepared participation oftentimes leads to confusion. You see, unprepared participation can lead to us missing the spirit in his movement in moments. You say, well, Kyle, how do we prepare as a people? This is exactly what we were just talking about in worship. The way in which the people of God prepare is not by doing first. It starts with being. It starts with us understanding John 15, where Jesus himself is laying out, listen, you want to show up in the most powerful, impactful ways? Here's what it looks like first. Abide. 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 And abiding calls for slowing down. Abiding is the call of God to the green pasture to lie down, right? But so many of us, we're like, okay, yeah, participation. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked on this because doing, 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 no, 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 no. If you really want to prepare for the work that God has for you and for us as a church, here's what we must do constantly. 
and become professionals at it. Be before God. Be in his presence. Be abiding. Be connecting to the source so that we might know how to participate and in what to participate. This was the rhythm of Jesus, right? He's our example. Constantly withdrawing. What was he doing when he was withdrawing? Just catching some Z's and some sleep. I'm sure some of that was happening. But he was with the Father. That's what the Bible emphasizes. He was constantly drawing away to be with the Father, to be fueled up, to be filled up, so that he might participate, so that he might walk into those crowds and those spaces. He might walk back to his 12 disciples who are going to ultimately fail him and, right, and, and be able to pour back out. But there was this rhythm and cadence in his life. Is that true of you? And I'm using this example not because this is the pinnacle of Christian life. I'm using this example because we're all sitting here today. How did you prepare to come into this space? Did you even think about it? Like other than like, I need to set an alarm, I need to get dressed, I need to do that. Like, did you spiritually think about what takes place when the community of faith gets together to worship? Like, was there a preparatory prayer? And listen, I, I don't mean that you need to wake up three and a half hours before service and like lay prostrate. If you want to, that's great in your living room. But like, was there even a, a recognition like, God, we're coming into your house with other brothers and sisters, like ready my heart, ready my mind, op- open my ears. You're like, Kyle, we barely got here, right? I was bringing seven kids in the door, you know, like rolling out of it. Like, and so maybe this needs to begin on Saturday evening. Maybe this is a regular liturgy when you get in the car to drive to the park's church that there is some reminder, maybe it's your kids, your spouse, whatever, to remind you, go, have we prepared our hearts? Have we actually just stopped to think about where we're going and what we're going to participate in here? We show up. This is the third thing. I've got to go quickly. Not just prepared, but do we show up with an expectancy? As Christians, do we show up in spaces and places with an expectancy that God's going to move, that God's presence is going before us, that God's presence is there, that he is pushing back darkness? I've been thinking about Psalm 5, verse 3 this week. And it says this, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. I love that la- those last two words. Right, All of it hinges upon the first part where God hears our voice. We prepare a sacrifice. It's not the sacrifice that pleases God, right? We step back because he's called us to do it and we just expect him to move. Is there an expectancy in your heart? Is there an expectation for God to move in your home? And this is not like, God, I expect this to happen because, you know, duh, 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 duh. no, this is going, God, I trust you. God, I trust your word for what it says. God, I expect you to heal marriages. God, I expect you to save. God, I expect you to sanctify. God, I expect you to do what only you can do in my life, in my home. Like, even for this new school year coming up for some of you. Like, is there an expectancy for God to do something different than he did last year, right? Or at your business, with your neighbors, whatever it is, right? New parents, right? What an opportunity. Have you prayed? And is there like this holy expectation in you that God desires and wants to do something, something something totally foreign to what maybe before you have seen? I think our lack, and and I'm I'm, I'm teasing a little bit next week's sermon, but our lack of expectation is oftentimes directly tied to our lack of sharing and having God's stories being told around us. Like if there's this constant flow in your community, right? Right? in your life and in, in, in the church, 
right? Of God moving and God stirring and God saving and God sanctifying. You know what happens? It gets contagious. It becomes contagious in our lips and in our lives because we go, God, we've heard the stories. Now do it in my family. Save my spouse. Save my kids. Say, like, God, I've heard. I want to see it. Is there an expectancy? Okay, now, where? How we show up? We show up like Jesus. We show up in preparation, right? We show up with an expectancy. What are the places and spaces God calls us to? Great question. And let me tell you, because even after uh, the 9 a.m., people are like, they want to go, where? Like, specifically where? And I'm like, pray. Ask God. So I'm not going to be able to hit what you're wanting me to hit in this sermon. But by God's grace, here's what's going to happen. The Spirit is going to hit that in your life and then our life corporately over the next months and year. Where are the spaces and where are the places? But we know some of the spaces that Jesus went into. So surely we can't go wrong by going, here's where he wants us to step into. And the first one is this, that he wants us to show up against darkness. 1 John 3.8 says, at the very end of it, he says, He, Jesus, appeared to destroy the devil's work. We show up in dark places as the people of God, light and salt. Now, we don't have the power in of ourselves to push back darkness. But Christ has placed his spirit in us when he reconciled us so that we can enter those places and be his light. And so we, as a body, show up together. Primarily, here's how we show up against darkness. In prayer against the agenda of the world. You'll, you'll sense a common theme through these talks, right? And it's prayer, prayer, prayer. So listen, when we call for the elders to pray over you, that's pushing back darkness. When we call for corporate prayer as a body uh, on different nights of the week and different things like that, that's us together corporately pushing back uh, darkness as a body. These aren't flippant, churchy things. These are moments where we contend and fight against darkness. When you pray in your formation group, when you pray in your praxis group, when you get around your table with other believers and you begin to call upon the name of God, that is pushing back darkness. That is participating in what Jesus has come to do. Uh, an Anglican bishop by the name of David Pichus, he said this. Um, he said, every time someone turns to Christ in repentance, finding forgiveness and eternal life, the kingdom of God is extended. Each time Jesus heals and casts out demons, prevents destruction or raises the dead, the kingdom of God is advanced. Every healing or deliverance in the name of Jesus is a curbing of the enemy's powers and the frontiers of darkness are pushed back. Speaking of his approaching death and triumph through the cross, Jesus said, now the prince of the world will be driven out. Like that was a final declaration. The process of driving out, he says, still continues today. We, the church, are meant to be actively involved in it. We are not scared of it. Right? Jesus is going, listen, I've overcome the darkness. Walk in confidence. My spirit is greater in you than he who's in this world. And so as a church, radically committed to discipleship. Can we, like Jesus, show up and push back the darkness? Can we commit to showing up against the enemy of our day in prayer primarily, and then through prayer and participation physically? 
for our church, for our city? Can we show up against racism and the sexual revolution? Can we show up against the evil of our day? Listen, this is nothing new in our Bibles. Our God is a God who shows up. God, Yahweh, showed up for his people in the Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit showing up in Acts. And the church is a continuation of that power of God showing up. And he says, listen, you are the tip of that spear now. You have my spirit in you, not for the sidelines, but to participate. And the church, church history is full of people just who are showing up in humble, spirit-filled power to influence places and people and communities with the reconciling, healing power of God. That's 2 Corinthians. You are my ambassadors. So that kind of darkness... There's so much darkness in our world. Like that could be debilitating. But think about this. The church, just even the Parks Church. You saw how many people stood up who are attached to the educational system. What about the healthcare system, the business system, politics, all of these places. God uniquely has people, salt and light. The Parks Church in those spaces and places to what? Push back darkness. And then we come together and we celebrate his goodness. We ask for him to fill us again so that why? We can go back in. We can go back in. I love what Sam said. This is our weekly reminder that God is enough, that he's sufficient, that he's the one doing this. So we show up in the dark. We show up for the vulnerable or the weak. Listen, we as a church, we have a lot of resources, financially, uh, relationally, numerically. And when we look at Jesus's life, where he showed up, what he shows up and who he shows up for most of the time, if not all, I could argue, is he shows up for the poor, oppressed, and weak, the marginalized. James 1.27. This is pure and undefiled religion. Right? Do, do we have that one? Because I want to show a word here. It's this, colon, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Visit. Visitation. You know another word for visit? Show up. Participate. How are you participating? How are you showing up? And Jesus goes, listen, if you understand the heart of the gospel, you understand that it is for weak, poor, and oppressed people, that which we all qualify for. And so the body of Christ should be people who express, who express her passion in showing up for the vulnerable in areas of society because that is the heart and impulse of the gospel which reconciled us and saved us. Charles Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, he says this. He says, his glory, meaning Jesus, was that he laid aside his glory and that the glory of the church is when she lays aside her respectability and her dignity and counts it to be her glory to gather together the outcasts. The outcasts. You want to know who was outcast? You and me and every person sitting in here until Christ says, come. Join me, be part of my family. And now that he has reconciled us, he's called us part of his family to do what? to be reconcilers in Christ. Come marginalized, oppressed, weak, vulnerable. Come, come. And the church is full of stories. I could share story after story after story. But one I really liked this week was Sunday school. You know why Sunday school was started? It wasn't by the Southern Baptist, by the way. It was started much far, much longer before that. It was started actually by churches who wanted to educate children who were forced into labor so they would bring them on Sunday mornings to them to give them an education. It wasn't so us as adults could just gain some more intellectual knowledge. It was to serve a vulnerable person. Hospitals, uh, we could keep going. 
The church at its best and the church that's growing in beauty is one that is pursuing the most vulnerable. Third, the church shows up for the next generation. The next generation. That's kids, that's littles, that's bigs, that's students. And probably whatever seat you're sitting in, you're looking going, okay, that's this person. That person. Some of you maybe look at me and go, Kyle, you're the next generation. In the church, when it's beautiful, it has that cascading effect. People serving one another in different ages and different demographics. I'm so thankful that this church is, is multi-aged. It has a, a great demographic of diversity of ages, right? But what we need to do a better job in is those ages serving one another. Receiving and participating, right? Calling for. I love, I love when I get an email from a young couple who goes, hey, link me with somebody who is that season in life. Boom, boom. Just did that recently, right? Somebody who's a few years ahead of them and linked it. And it's been this beautiful relationship. Is that something you're pursuing? Is that something we're cultivating? We need to do a better job in that. And, and also, we're going to have things that we um, strategically begin to invest in our kids and our littles and our bigs and our students differently as a community to go, listen, we need to be a church that shows up for that next generation, right? And, and, and that's, that's going to be receiving and giving. The last one is this. The church that's growing in beauty shows up in the risky places. This is going to cost us. Like, like following Jesus costs us. Following Jesus, truly following the Jesus of the Bible is going to cost us as a church. And my prayer has been that we might have as a church a little bit more boldness. A little bit more boldness in following Jesus. In our individual lives, but I'm speaking about us corporately. That we would listen more faithfully to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and allow him to take us out of our normal rhythms and routines of life. That he would expand us into those risky and hard places. You say, well, Kyle, like, yeah, that's great for super Christians. Like, I hope that army of special forces comes behind you. Newsflash. Like, that doesn't exist. Here's who God uses. Ordinary, available people who will open their hands and open their hearts and say, Jesus, what do you want to do with me? Jesus, I'm, here I am before you. Use me however you see fit. And listen, those, those riskier hard places might start with your next door neighbor. Might start right there, your coworkers and workplace, family. For some of you, you jump to the hard places. You jump to the nations, which we need to go to the nations. But for some of you, it's easier to go to the nations. The thought of going to the nations is easier for you than to going to your neighbor. You see, if we take Jesus seriously, he's going to constantly be driving us into those places and spaces. And some of your church friends, even here at the parks, are going to look at you and go, well, hey, you don't want to be a fanatic. Now, is that really wise? Or say, well, oh, hey, watch your theology there. And let me tell you, we are... We are serious about theology here. We're serious about guarding what God has entrusted to us. But we're also very serious about following Jesus with our whole hearts and with our whole church and with this whole body. Here's the last quote and the last thing I'll end with. This is from Leslie Newbegin. This is the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life culture is the Christian congregation, the church. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? That's a reasonable. The only answer, the only hermeneutic or interpretation, explanation of the gospel is a congregation, a church of men and women who believe it 
and live by it. Said another way, men and women who take Jesus at his word, follow his way and show up for his glory. Let's pray. Father, help us. God, we just confessed how easy it is for some things to roll off our lips but not translate to our lives. God, forgive us for wishing things a certain way and walking another, individually and corporately. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you might take these words, that you might take your word, God, the call upon this church to be salt and light, the mantle that you have given us through your Holy Spirit to be ambassadors, this fragrance of, 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 of you, God, your appeal that you're making. God, I pray that it would be a beautiful appeal through the Parks Church. God, that you would give us faith to walk boldly into areas and spaces and places we are not comfortable. God, I pray for the ones that we're already walking in that there would be a depth and a deeper going. God, I pray that um, for us as a church, our impulse and our preparation and our expectancy would come from a place of sitting and being before you. God, help us, convict us when we get the doing out in front of the being. Lord, let us be present with you so that we might have the fuel and the wisdom to go forward. Jesus, let us show up in spaces like you. God, I pray that that would be true this week. God, I don't want to show up in the the providential places you have me disobediently with the wrong attitude, with the wrong tone and tenor. Holy Spirit, lead and guide this church. I thank you for her. I thank you that you are making her more beautiful. Continue to do so for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.